Hey, Gabby. Welcome back to the She Did It podcast. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Oh, my God. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Of course. So you're a holistic health coach, and I think that you are absolutely incredible what you do. (laughs) Everything that you put out is so inspiring, and you are really helping to change lives. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us about what you do and how you got to where you are today. Yes. So I am a holistic mental health coach. I am based in Los Angeles. And um, what I do is I really help people kind of uncover their authentic selves that's been buried under years and years of, you know, conditioning, bad experiences, pain, you know, what's behind the mask and rediscover their inner power, their confidence and their purpose so that they can really go on to lead the lives that are calling them. Um, And I just, I love seeing people transform. That's basically what I do. I help people kind of step into themselves. So how did it start? Like, how did you get into holistic mental health coaching? Because you and I spoke about like psychology and how you took that route. And tell me about your journey and how it led to holistic mental health coaching. Yeah, absolutely. So my journey really started, um, like all of this that I do today, all started with my own mental health um, issues that I was having actually throughout my life. Um, So I was born uh, and raised in suburban New Jersey, just like a typical kind of situation. My mom is a psychologist, actually. So I've always been around psychology. Um, And my father is a retired music teacher now. Um, And I first really started kind of getting curious about human behavior from first watching kind of my dad really struggle with depression. Um, I was about seven years old. I remember he lost his job. He really, really struggled to find meaning, find happiness. And because of that, you know, a lot of things around the house were very difficult. Um, You know, nobody's fault, but it definitely at a young age, I was like, whoa, this isn't good. And, um, I want to get, I want to know more about this. So maybe I can fix it. I've always been the kind of person, even from like, God, like two or three years old. Like I always hear stories from my mom that I'm always the kind of person that likes to take things apart. And I really like to like find the root reasons and causes of things. I would like take apart computers and like figure out what was inside. (laughs) So human behavior for me has always been a fascination. I've always wanted to just figure out why. So my first kind of introduction to mental illness or mental, I don't even like to call it that, I call it mental dis-ease, was watching my father really go through that my entire life, starting at age seven. Um, And then I also was very severely bullied as a child. I was, (laughs) I didn't have any siblings Mm -hmm. to kind of show me how to be cool. So I would walk in there and tell people I wanted to be a scientist (laughs) and show up to career day (laughs) in first grade, like as a paleontologist, I wanted to like discover bones and dinosaurs and everybody else is like, what is like, who is this? (laughs) So um, I (laughs) really, I laugh about it now because it's just like so silly, but um, for my whole childhood, I went to a pretty brutal private school with a lot of kids who really were into bullying and I was kind of just more into connecting and I was vulnerable and I ended up becoming kind of the object of their bullying like my entire childhood up until high school. And during that time, I suffered just such severe anxiety. I would throw up every day before school. I would feel so sick. Um, I remember like physically shaking, pulling up to the school every day and just 
just thinking to myself, oh my God, like, please don't, please don't leave me here for eight hours. It was just such a dread. Um, I totally can relate to that. Yeah. I know we talked about this too. Yeah. Much more common than we think. And, you know, watching my dad go through his depression at that same time, being so young, not like understanding how to integrate my experience or what was happening to me. Um, I really became very depressed and I was only 12 years old by the time I had my first suicidal thoughts. And that was, that was weird. It was weird because I was never going to act on them, but I started to think to myself, like, oh, I hope I don't wake up tomorrow. Like, it'd be so much easier if I just didn't wake up or, you know, look at that. I used to live on the Hudson River facing Manhattan in New Jersey. And from our balcony, you could see the George Washington Bridge, which is this big bridge that connects the two states. And I remember distinctly sitting sitting in like my basement or like my den, looking at this bridge and being like, I wonder if anybody would miss me if I jumped. And I was 12. (laughs) So imagine like that kind of experience. You know, I I think a lot more people than we know have at some point or another in their life. But, you know, at that point, my mom really kind of saw what was going on. I went into therapy for the first time. Um... And it was okay, you know, I had, you know, he was an okay therapist, but I never, it never really fixed anything. I was still being bullied. I was still depressed. I was still severely anxious. Um, So I kind of just pushed it to the back of my mind until I could get out of that school in high school and change schools. And I created a new identity for myself. I actually changed my name um, because I was so traumatized from my entire childhood experience in school that I was like, even afraid to be myself, like in the most literal sense. I can relate to that everything you're saying. Yeah, I get it. I went through something very similar and it's, it is really traumatizing. And now, like you said, like sometimes we can look back and laugh at it, but mm-hmm. at the time it was um, almost unbearable. Like just the thought of going to school, like it, it almost felt like it was never going to end. And like, you mm-hmm. know, I had a similar situation. I went to therapy, but like, I still had to go to school at the end of the day and like, it wasn't changing, yeah. you know, it's, it's rough. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is, and now that I know the things that I know, you know, this is the, your childhood is when your brain is being formed, right? And all of these neurological connections are being made to help you understand the world around you, make sense of it, make sense of yourself and your worth and your place in that world. And if you're conditioned this way um, and you're traumatized, your brain is different as an adult. And I noticed this, you know, because I think a lot of us, what we do is, since we don't know how to work through emotions and we fear them, we fear that they're going to consume us. Like we're not going to be able to handle it if we let it all flood out. So what we do is we have a nice coping mechanism and or a bunch and um, you know, we have denial. So we don't, we deny that it ever happened. We pretend it didn't happen. We compartmentalize, meaning we pack it up in a nice little box and we pack it away in the back of our brain, these bad experiences, these traumatic events, um, things that really, you know, kind of shaped who we are in, in the bad way, because there are also good things about those experiences, right. but mostly the bad stuff we really pack away. And we're like, okay, cool. That's, you know, that's back there. I don't need to, you know, I don't need to open that right. anytime ever again. <laughs> so I kind of did yeah. that. Move through high school as someone, I mean, I looking back, I don't even know who that was. It was somebody I thought would get me friends, someone who I thought would be mm-hmm. popular and who wouldn't be bullied. And I really buried myself very deep down, like my true self, the joy, the authenticity, the 
freedom, the love, the kind of person, I'm just the kind of person who's very empathic. I can, I love connecting with people and I feel what they feel and I have so much compassion and I, you know, I think it comes from being bullied and understanding just how fragile right. the human psyche is. Um, and it gives us so much strength too mm-hmm. that we don't realize until we get older or until we start to work through some of those inner issues. It gives us more strength, like any obstacle gives you more strength. Oh, absolutely. And it's not even just the obstacle. It's understanding that you can get through it and that you did. Right. You right. Know? And recognizing that you have that ability within you, even though you may not feel like it, it's there. Like you survived and you'll survive again. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree. And do you think that this is all what led you into holistic mental health coaching? Like how did you get to yeah. the holistic? Because you, you talked about your journey, like like I said before, like to you went to school for psychology, but like yeah. the reason was to like understand yourself, right? Yeah, exactly. So I reached a point in my mid twenties when I was just completely lost and very depressed again. Basically, all the things that I had kind of covered up or pushed aside from childhood that we just that I just spoke about kind of came flooding out because at some point or another, your brain can't compartmentalize anymore; it cannot push things away. So right. I had seen therapists. Um, I actually saw this one woman for almost five years and literally nothing happened. So, and I was giving her, I was paying her a lot of money, money that like I didn't have, you know, I was putting together for this reason. And I reached a point where I became, where I had suicidal ideation again. And I said, okay, either I can like just decide that this is how I'm going to feel the rest of my life. Or I can just say it and take it into my own hands, learn everything I can about psychology, about neurobiology, about the healing practices, and just do it. Do it myself, like teach myself. And I've always been that kind of person to teach myself things. So it wasn't something so out of the ordinary. It just never occurred to me that I could, you know, because you feel like you have to see like. So, yeah. So I ended up um, enrolling in a master's program here in Los Angeles at Antioch University. It was life-changing experience that included a ton of self-reflection as part of the education. Um, I, it was a master's in clinical psychology. So I really got to understand myself. I had all of these like moments where I was like, oh my God, this is normal. Or, oh my God, this is a normal response to this kind of event. Or, oh my God, my brain is traumatized and this is why I'm so anxious all the time. This is why I get depressed very easily. This is why I connect to toxic people. And this is why I'm so unhappy. And I was like, holy shit. You know, like, it's all here. Like everybody needs to know this. Everybody needs it's not science. science. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's wow. it's conceptual. It's things that literally every single person can wrap their head around. And I was like, this is insane to me that this isn't made free and public for everybody. It is included in school services. It isn't included in college services. Like we should all okay. be psychoeducated to understand how our minds work because there's so much power in understanding. You can gain control over it. So that's how I kind of got into the mental health thing. And I re- I was like, oh my God, I started healing myself and I started feeling better. And I started feeling so much more confident, so much more right. with purpose, living in alignment. I was like, everybody needs this. So, cause like, who doesn't want to be happy, right? Like at the end of the day. Everybody, everybody wants to be happy. And like, I think that I, you and I talked about like traditional therapy versus holistic coaching and there's a big difference. And I think you and I both agreed on, I, I prefer a more holistic point of view. And I think the way that you go about your business is 
more can be more beneficial for someone's mental health. So can you talk about like what happened after you graduated and went into psychology and started practicing and then after, and then like what changed? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I, so the school that I went to is very progressive. They included a lot of, um, holistic, uh, like education, I I would say in their program, which is really interesting because a lot of psychology programs actually like 99% of them do not include, first of all, they don't include trauma education, which is insane. Um, so many psychotherapists who are licensed are not required. Well, they're generally at all not required to have any trauma training, but most of them just don't have it and don't understand that that actually is. We're finding out the root causes of most mental illnesses. So yeah, when I was working or interning, I should say, and gaining my hours as a clinical therapist, I was seeing, you know, clients throughout the week who were dealing with, you know, different things from severe depression, suicidality, um, recovering from severe abuse, domestic violence, um, depression. I said that, sorry, anxiety, um, you know, a lot of people dealing also with imposter syndrome and um, just a, just the gamut of kind of mood disorders. What I noticed was that there were very common themes and it had nothing to do with mental illness, but more to do with a lack of integration between their mind, body and spirit. And that was kind of a mind blowing moment for me because I am a very scientifically based person. I do not just believe in random things. I want to see the evidence behind all of this stuff. So I was like, wow, you know, this isn't really like nobody's sick, you know, like nobody's ill. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just a matter of they have to really deeply connect with themselves again, heal from whatever wounds are kind of driving their behavior right now. And then make a plan for what they envision for the future and kind of reverse engineer it from there. How do we get there? You know, what are the tools that they need? And that includes getting in touch with your body, which is not included in psychotherapy usually, excuse me, usually Um, getting in touch with your soul or your spirit. So spirituality and psychology up until recently have been very kind of disconnected. You have Carl Jung. He's one of the founders of kind of depth psychology and he came around a while ago. But it's only now that this kind of integration between science and spirituality is taking place on a um, like educational level and an institutional level. So I did notice. Yeah. Um, So I did notice like when I was treating people that I really became uncomfortable with diagnosing. Um, I became very uncomfortable with the way that the DSM, which is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, where all the diagnoses are. Um, I really got uncomfortable with some of it, just the way that I was being told to use it. So I was being told, you know, when you're seeing clients in real life, which this was real life anyway, but when you're, you know, practicing on your own and you're with insurance companies, yeah. you have to diagnose in the first session. And I was like, I can tell you from experience, you cannot diagnose from the first session because you don't know that person. It's like walking up to someone in the street and saying, oh yeah, you have bipolar disorder. It's like, What? So that was pretty crazy. I had a lot of problems with that. Um, And I found out that it's really because if you're working on insurance panels, which you're required to by law, if you're a licensed um, psychotherapist, they do not pay you unless you give a diagnosis. That's so sad. I I know like Mm -hmm. you and I talked about how like so many, um, you know, therapists, psychologists, 
psychiatrists, they go into it for the right reason, but at the end of the day, they also have to make a living from it. So it's really sad because diagnosing someone right away without really knowing who they are is putting labels on them that, and they then, those people then, you know, they're going to someone because they're looking for help. So they trust what they have to say. And then they begin to identify themselves as that label. Yeah. And when you're sitting in, and this was the other thing I found that I didn't like when you're sitting as a therapist in a position of power in the room, because let's be honest, someone's coming into you. Um, you're the quote unquote expert. You're supposed to fix them. They're the quote unquote broken one, sick one, ill one, you know, like whatever words I say hold so much weight for that person and right. saying to them, you know what, you're like, you're depressed. I mean, yes, while they may have depressive symptoms, I hate the way the DSM makes you kind of, they identify you with the disease or the illness. They say you're anxious, like you're right. always going to be this way and there's nowhere for you to go and there's no solution and it's an identity. And that is a big problem to me as well. Um, you know, because it isn't what we're learning now through the most recent neuroscientific research is that these are all different states of being a human being. <laughs> and it's right. less about freaking out when emotions show up, which is like, let's, let's put a label on it. So that way we feel more comfortable. It's like, no, let's sit in the discomfort. Let's figure out where this is really originating from. And then like, let's talk about it and work through it. You know, so I think yeah. also DSM comes from a little bit of a place of fear and needing to label things. Um, and it's not necessarily even that accurate. And I think we spoke about this. Um, being um, homosexual was actually a mental illness up until the mid 1970s. And I believe they just removed being transgender out of the DSM, I think a year ago. So they're very behind in terms of, in my opinion, in terms of how we need to be addressing healing and helping people and even more so preventative mental health. Like how do we create habits and routines and, you know, things to make ourselves resilient. So when things come up, we don't have, we don't feel lost. You know, we have the tools to be able to move through it. I think that's such a big part of it too, because you don't want to just go to therapy or get help when you're at your lowest point, like putting preventative tools or, or whatever or routines in place can help prevent you from reaching that, that lowest point. And I think it's really important to talk about that. Um, and that's what's going to help people to progress in life and to, and, and something else that I really liked that you said, and it, I don't think it was today, it was another time that we talked, but it was about how it, not labeling people like you're depressed, but how saying, but you should be saying like, okay, I, or you, you, I think you said it about anxiety, like anxiety is now passing through me. You don't yeah. say like, you're an, I'm not, I'm not an anxious person. Anxiety is passing through me right now. I yeah. really liked when you said that. Yeah. You know, it's really important that we learn to externalize these things. Um, it's a process by which we detach our identity from our emotions because our emotions are actually a, a biological function of our brain and body to keep us safe. So right. the more that we can realize that we're not really in control, in control of our emotions as much as we like to think. And we kind of say, okay, anxiety is coming to visit today. What is it? What is it asking me? What does it need from me? Um, oh, you know, depression right. is coming to visit today. What do I need today? What do I need to, to do? What is it telling me I need? So it's more like treating it as non-judgmental kind of an information, uh, 
prompt for you to look more inwards and to turn inwards and say, what is going on that is causing this to visit today? And just, it's just a new compassion, just letting it kind of live there. Yeah. Yeah. And you're looking at it from a different angle. And I think that that's really important. I think there's also a lot of misconceptions around holistic coaching or holistic mental health coaching. Do you, what are some of those yeah. misconceptions? Because there might be people listening to this and they're like not into holistic like, medicine, but um, I, there's so much to it that people don't understand. It's not just, you know, magic solutions or, you know, essential oils. It's like so much more than that. So what, is, what are the common misconceptions that people have? Yeah, so I think, and this, and I'm with the skeptics, I'm with you guys, um, I actually, I'm from the East Coast, as I said before, like, we're very, like, we got to see the facts, you know, we're not California hippie, woo-woo, yeah. I used to think it was, um, so actually, the only reason I even got interested in holistic remedies was because I myself had reached a point with pharmaceuticals and with traditional um, mental health systems, I was like, I'll try anything, like, just give me anything. And I started to notice that these things worked. <laughs> and I was like, I was very much like push resisting. I was like, this isn't, this is because of something else. This isn't because I'm meditating or doing yoga or like, you know, right. taking time for essential oils or self-care or whatever. But I ended up then going on my own and doing a lot of research. And it turns out that a lot of these holistic remedies that we use today uh, have a lot of research behind them. That is the research is caught up. It wasn't there before, but it's there now. Um, <laughs> So, you know, uh, I think there's a lot of people think that, you know, meditation is very like mystic and it's very magical and it's like woo woo. And actually meditation um, through MRI scans and different um, neurological research studies, meditation actually carves different pathways in your brain to reduce stress, to decrease cortisol, which is a stress hormone, to balance your nervous system, because we mostly operate um, from a fight or flight mode, which is our sympathetic nervous system. Um, we It shifts you into the parasympathetic so you can relax, relax and rest. And it builds the circuitry in the brain to support a more open, more relaxed, more compassionate and loving um, perspective, which changes the way you see the world. So it is a little bit magical, but it's yeah. rooted in science and herbs like ashwagandha, um, which is also another uh, nervous system regulator. You know, I thought that was a bunch of craziness or CBD, but there's tons of research that supports this and explains how it, how it kind of shifts everything over. Um, and I've tried it. So I definitely cannot deny I think a big part of it is you have to be open to allowing it to work on you the same way you'd be open to allowing pharmaceuticals to work on you or traditional therapy to work on you. Um, you just have to be ready to kind of jump in. But the research is there for most of the stuff that actually for all the stuff I do that's holistically oriented, I make sure that I'm doing research based practices, evidence based practices. I can't speak for everyone else out there. Um, but that is that's essentially how I do it. I marry the Western and the Eastern sciences. So do you believe in traditional medicine for mental health specifically, like for anxiety, depression, or just mental health? Do you believe in traditional medicine? I do. Um, I do and I don't. And I say this because like for every single person, it's different. Your brain chemistry, your biochemistry, 
um, your experiences, the way that you work individually, um, you know, is very different from someone else. So you kind of have to do what works for you. I've been on both sides. I've um, taken prescription antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications. I have diagnosed PTSD. And for many years, I couldn't even sleep through the night. I mean, years. So, um, and I tried sleep aids and really it wasn't until I tried the holistic remedies because I tried everything else that I realized that that was what worked for me. Um, I think it's very powerful to really try to self heal through your own natural medicine, whether it's your brain, because you can actually train your brain to send out certain neurotransmitters and chemicals and things to help you balance. Um, okay. But I do think, you know, there were there was a really dark time in my life where I was on antidepressants and they saved my life, you know, because I was so far past the point of being able to do any of these holistic things for myself, because the holistic side does take more. You need to be in a, a little bit more of a functional place. So I do believe that, you know, for people who are really, really, really suffering, go get help, go get medication go talk to someone who's a licensed therapist absolutely those things can help for those particular moments. What I think is that we're over, we're generally over medicated. Like we're told like anytime you feel something, run and get a pill. And right. that's where my problem is with that. So if you are not so, so like, if you cannot, what I say is like non-functional is how you kind of tell. Right. If you are not functioning, you can't keep a job. You can't go outside your house. You're not bathing. You're not taking care of yourself. You're not eating. You're not socializing or having a community. You're not moving your body. Like you're really like completely shut down. That's when you need medication. If you are feeling yeah. like you have your job, but you're very, very anxious all the time, but you're working and you're paying your bills and you're kind of getting by, I would say try the natural stuff first and see if that works. And then you can always do the pharmaceuticals. But what I'll say also is that I, I believe it's something like 78% of pharmaceuticals are actually just synthesized versions of natural medicine with a bunch of extra shit added in there that cause side effects. That's interesting. Right. That, that's really yeah. interesting to think about it that way. I think it's also, and I'm not a psychologist. I did not go to school for psychology. I have had my own anxiety. I've dealt with bullying, trauma, all of that stuff. But I feel like we are so used to being on like going jumping to medication mm. and because it's so it's like we feel like it's so much stronger that like when we try to do the holistic stuff when we don't feel like it's stronger it's almost like a psychological thing like oh the holistic stuff yeah. is not as strong as the stuff but so it doesn't work as well but really when you just said that it's like wait if a lot of it is based off of holistic yeah has a lot of the stuff you're saying sorry I keep saying stuff because I I don't know the correct terminology but if it has a lot of that if that's like the base of it then it's in our minds that this other holistic stuff can't work for those oh, for those skeptics there yeah that's yeah and just keep just remind yourself like you know who's making the money so yeah. like who benefits yeah. from shaming people uh you know from taking natural routes well, you know, who, who's the one that's making money from us not doing preventative mental health care? You know, who's making money every time a pill is sold? So just keep that in mind. There's always a motivation behind everything. And we have to be really diligent on our own and do our own research and advocate for ourselves um, and for our mental health and for our wellness. And that sometimes means doing different things that may not be quote unquote normal or usual or typical, but actually have yeah. much more significant impact. That's so interesting. So 
Gabby and I, for everybody listening, we're doing a three-part series, but I do want to touch a little bit more about on anxiety because I think it's just so common. We talked about it a little bit so far. Um, and I know in the past I've told you some of the issues that I was facing because I've dealt with severe anxiety. I still deal with anxiety and your advice really resonated with me. And even on just recording this episode right now, like I didn't even realize medication is, you know, a lot of it has a lot of the same holistic ingredients. I don't know how to put it. Um, I, that was eye opening for me. Um, so I want to give everyone an inside look into your views on anxiety for our next episode, which is going to be on anxiety. So how do you see, um, anxiety and what is one step that someone facing right now can take to help them overcome it from a holistic point of view? Yeah, absolutely. So this is one of my favorite topics because I have been anxious my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) Always like, why, you know, um, So there's a really amazing uh, doctor out there. His name is Dr. Dan Siegel, and he actually pioneered what's called interpersonal neurobiology, where he integrates kind of all the fields of science to explain human behavior and the development of our personalities. And one one of the things um, that he, oh my God, I forgot your question because I just started thinking about him and how much I love him. (laughs) What is one step someone? Anxiety. Yeah, yes. so I changing, like, this is what he does to people. He's, like, amazing. But he's basically dedicated his whole life to doing this stuff. He pioneered the Mind, uh, the Mindsight Institute, which is in L.A., and he also ran UCLA's um, mindfulness department in their psychology graduate program. So he's really, he's amazing. So he talks about anxiety, and I believe this is really what it is, from a biological standpoint. So anxiety is actually rooted in your amygdala, part of your brain in the limbic system that kind of gives you warnings to keep you safe. And the function of anxiety, which lives, um, like I said, in your primal brain, which is this part of our brain that we have really no (laughs) control over and using mindfulness, we can gain more control over it. Um, But anxiety primarily um, is a function of keeping you alive. So it's actually supposed to be there to help us. And originally, um, it kind of was our lookout when we were cavemen to make sure that we were not going to get eaten by something when we were foraging or traveling or walking around, you know, not in our caves. So our brain is actually wired. Sorry? Is it like your gut feeling? Like your instincts? No, that's, well, actually, yeah, it's tied into your gut feeling, but that's your gut brain that lives in your stomach, um, actually, and has a bunch of neurotransmitters that directly signal your amygdala and your stress centers in your brain. So gut feeling is tied into it, but it actually, that is your literal gut um, bacteria. So the, um, what I'm talking about more is just like, when you're hypervigilant and you notice things, you know, like you pick up on things around you and you're like, oh, wait, there's, you know, somebody walking towards me, like, or you feel like someone's walking behind you and you don't, you don't really see them, but you feel it. Um, so it's meant to keep you alive. But the problem is our brains haven't really caught up to the, to the century that we're in right now. And we're safe for the most part. You know, like we don't have wild lions that are going to eat us, you know, if we walk outside, like our, our environment has been very much controlled, but our right. brains know that. So it can't, they can't differentiate between a, like a life threatening actual threat and stress. Right. So That's if you are feeling, sorry. That's interesting. It's yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. So basically, it takes any stress signal, like let's say you have a deadline coming up at work, or you get into a fight with your boyfriend or girlfriend or significant other, 
um, or your parents or something is not going right in your day to day, even if you have like you're in traffic, right? And you're stressed because you have to go somewhere. Your brain automatically sends out the, the anxious response for fight or flight. It cannot tell that you're in a, you're totally safe. All it feels is like, all it reads is like, I'm stressed. I need to run or freeze or play dead or whatever, you know, to kind of survive. So if you are having like a high level of resting anxiety every single day, it means that you probably obviously have a lot of stress in your life and your brain is on overdrive. Your anxiety is being triggered by the stress and you just really have to work on getting some space for reintegration and um, breathing and using maybe some somatic tools and journaling to kind of release that stored up energy. So that's what I think that's a really like really great advice for dealing with anxiety as someone who like I've said now like three times who deals with anxiety <laughs> journaling and meditating and exercise like I I do have a lot of stress and like when you take a step back and you're in like that panic mode, like, and you can actually like think about what's going on. A lot of it really is related to stress, at least for me. So everything that you're saying totally resonates with me and doing those things and taking those steps, like journaling, for example, relieves a lot of that stress. And you almost feel like a weight has been lifted off of your shoulders. You just have to yeah. be able to take that step back to like slow down in the moment to, yeah. to actually think about it. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that's such great advice and I hope that everybody listening is taking notes and gives it a try. Um, but can you also provide a few practical tips or a piece of advice from a holistic point of view um, to help people when they're facing a challenge and they don't know how to get out of it? So maybe they don't know how to take that step back to really see things a little bit clearer to like go and journal. So what do they do if they're facing that obstacle? Yeah. What, what should they do? Well, so first of all, I want to let people know that if you are feeling um, really, really anxious, your brain gets flooded. It's emotional overwhelm. So you can't just go and sit down and journal. And that's totally normal. So please don't beat right. yourself up. If like if you're having a moment and you're like, I can't journal right now. Oh, my God. Like, yes, definitely. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> um, our brains actually can't process because all the blood is being sent to the back of the brain for fight or flight. So our front frontal cortex where we write and have conscious thought, it kind of gets dropped. So what right. we really need to do in those moments is calm down the body because when we can calm down the body and start to shift back into the rest and digest um, nervous system, our brain stops being flooded and then we can actually think. But we can't think about any solutions or any self-soothing until we really calm the physiological aspect of anxiety down, which is calming our bodies. So in those moments where you're feeling just like, really like, oh my God, I, what am I going to do? Stop, go somewhere, either a bathroom, your car, anywhere where you can just get some physical space, um, hopefully some fresh air and br just breathe as deeply as you can, like breathe in through your nose for six counts, hold it in and then release <sighs> through your mouth for about four counts and breathe in through your stomach, like put your hand over your belly and make sure that's expanding and your lower back is expanding, not your chest. Because if you breathe into your chest, that actually activates our anxiety. So the way to shift is to really belly breathe very deeply for a few minutes. Um, and that should actually, you'll feel physically, your muscles start to relax. You'll feel your breath start to slow down. Your brain will start to get off the hamster wheel. 
and you'll be able to kind of say, okay, okay, I'm okay. I'm safe. I'm good. I'm okay. Now, like, let me process what's happening in my brain and like try and figure out what to do. But it's all about really calming the body down first um, because otherwise our brains just don't have the computing space. They're worried about you getting eaten by a lion. Yeah, exactly. I think that's <laughs> great advice. I can't wait to go deeper into these topics. So like I said, everybody, we're doing a three-part series. We're going to be talking more about anxiety and stress. But in the meantime, Gabby, I'm going to link all of your social media links and your website in the podcast notes. But why don't you go ahead and share with people where they can find you for those people who don't read the podcast notes? (laughs) I know. I don't know if I read the podcast notes that often when I listen to it in the car Um, or any podcast. I don't either. Right. Um, Who reads? Um, No. So I am located mainly on Instagram. I like live there. It's my home. It's where I have my community. Um, So you can find me at um, at om, O-M, underscore therapy, underscore coaching. Um, And you'll see my picture. And I have a ton of free educational, like information tools, um, all about anxiety, self-healing, holistic remedies, meditation, mindfulness, Uh, inspiration, just things. And, you know, over the last year, we've created such such a beautiful community on this page. There's almost 14,000 people there. And uh, we comment with each other. We're always giving each other advice, supporting each other. You know, when people share their experiences, it like, I like die because I look at the comments and I see other people in the own community, like being like, oh my God, me too. I've gone through this and this is what I did. And like, oh, I'm with you. And like, it's a great space. So come check it out. Come join our community. I do lots of freebies, lots of workbooks and giveaways and journal things and prompts and all that. Um, and you can visit my website for more information about me and um, my one-to-one coaching services. I will be having a group coaching program coming up, I think beginning in hopefully November or December. So I'm so excited for that. Um, and yeah, you can find that at ohmtherapycoaching.com. Sign up for my email list and you'll also get a ton of freebies. Um, we just did a whole month of journal prompts in August for self-awakening and people love that. So yeah, come join the own community and I'm excited to have you. Thank you so much for being here, Gabby. You guys should definitely go and join her community. It really is amazing. And she puts so much time, thought and effort into everything that she puts out, which is really rare. Like you can really tell that she's passionate about what she does and she's really good. Like every time I talk to you, I feel like I'm learning something new and like, I'm going to go back myself and like take some notes. So I'm really grateful for having you here. And this was really insightful. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. This was so much fun. I can't wait to do the next one.